0: This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast, Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, well, we got Jamie Rivers uh, in Mexico, joined by the one and only Alex Ferrario. How you doing, my man? Donnie, I'm pumped. All right, so first of all, I've got a ton of things I want to talk to you about, sports-wise, and then also NHL-wise. Okay. But one thing that I wanted to start with today is that you and I have been very, very fortunate Uh, to be able to work and to get to know John Ullett. Oh, yeah. And today is U-Man's last full-time day on Uh KC. He's going to take on kind of an ambassador role, step back, and semi-retire, not full-on. But, Alex, I'm just curious, you know, like kind of your thoughts in general just about U-Man, interactions that you've had with him. Uh, To me, he's just one of the very, uh, very... Special people that I've been able to work with in my career.
1: So I I did not know you man until I started at Hubbard Radio. For those that don't know, I worked at KMLX for the longest time. So my only interaction with you man was at Cardinals games when he would be doing the PA, and I'd we'd cross paths on the elevator, and it would just be casual conversation. And then when I got to work in the building with you man. I mean, I grew up a fan of him. Now, I didn't listen to Keishi as much as I listened to other stations, but my dad was obsessed with Keishi. So yeah. every morning, I remember on the in the summertime, I would go out with him when he would do his pest control and termite stuff for the business that he owned, and I would ride in him. And so I would have you man in the mornings, Casey, and watch my dad laughing. And as a 13-year-old, you're watching your dad li- laugh and listen to a radio station, and you're thinking... What is so funny about this? Right. And then, as I grow older, I listen to it. I'm like, "Oh, okay, I get what my dad was talking about with this one." But he's such a down to earth guy, and that's the one. That's the one thing I preach about St. Louis radio. Which sounds such a weird thing to say, but like when you meet individuals that who have been in this business long enough, whether it's you, man, or Randy Carricker, or if it's, I mean, you could throw anybody's name into this conversation that we've been doing. Of course, our good buddy, Jeff Burton, the first time I got to meet him. You meet him and you ex- you put him on this pedestal where you're like, oh, God, he's, he's probably a jerk and he doesn't want to talk and he's too busy to deal with. That is not what these people have been at all. And walking past you, man, in the building where he stops to talk to me, I love every second of it. Yeah,
0: man. He's, he's, and I'm so excited for him because his, I believe it's his oldest daughter. Is pregnant with his first grandkid. Really? And they live in Phoenix. So um it's gonna give him the opportunity, him and his wife wow. to, to kind of go back and forth a little bit. And uh, you know, obviously with this cardinal schedule allowing. For sure. But still, it's just um, you know, man, he's just one of those guys like like Randy that I just feel incredibly lucky that I've been able to to work with him because also, man, you can ask him questions about what we do yeah. and the insight that they have. You know, man, it's it's a lot of times a perspective that I I, I didn't think of. And uh I just consider myself incredibly, incredibly lucky, as as all of us do, to, also, to be able to call him a, a friend.
1: Let's discuss the fact that he can absolutely flex on anybody and carry a briefcase around. Who do you know, Donnie, that still carries a briefcase that can pull that off?
0: Nah, nobody, and especially when it, when there is probably a plastic bag in that, in that briefcase <laughs> with corn cobs in it. <laughs> like, the man just rolls with his briefcase. I'm like,
1: man, I carry book bags still or these little, like, over-the-shoulder things. John you—it's just walking around with a briefcase, like an absolute pro.
0: Yeah, and also too, and I gotta throw this out there because so I love Keishi, but some there's like sort of a line with some of the classics where it's just kind of a little bit beyond me. For sure. I don't I don't appreciate it as much. But Yeah, you're preaching to the choir there. <laughs> on Sundays, uh, you man and Mark Close do a show called Vinyl Exam, where they Go through classic rock albums, and they talk about you know various players on it, uh, the the singles, where they just all of the kind of nerdy stuff that music guys like me love. Yeah. And holy smokes, it's like listening to two encyclopedias talk about (laughs) rock music. It is amazing. So if that's your thing, and you've never checked it out before, please listen to the Vinyl Exam, and they do a podcast of it as well. So, uh, Alex, I'm going to hit you on some general sports thoughts, and then we'll jump into hot. All right. All right. Uh, First. First and foremost, I know where this is going. That long silence, the the deep breath. I I try so hard to be a patient sports fan, and I understand that the Cardinals play 162 games. I get it. But what in the hell is going on here, man? And like, the thing that's also kind of scary to me is like, are they relying on Dave Dirk on on Adam Wainwright to come back and to stabilize this starting rotation? Are we really? relying on a 40-plus-year-old guy to— I don't know, man. I'm concerned as heck about what's going on here. And this is no
1: disrespect to Adam Wainwright because anybody who can challenge father time the way he can, you're spot on with saying, like, is this on him to kind of get this right? Yeah, probably because he's like the horse whisperer. I mean, you got a rampant horse. He's going to come in. He's going to calm him down. He's going to do that with a rotation. But to act like Adam Wainwright is going to come in and all of a sudden this team ERA is going to go from, like, a five to a three— That might be a little too outlandish to think. And again, Wayno's going to be Wayno no matter what. Even if the people are questioning his velocity being down, he knows how to pitch. But Steven Matz, I mean, they're talking about skipping Steven Matz in a rotation. Steven Matz has just been getting hit, and I don't know what's gone wrong with that. This is what he was last year before he was injured. It was one really good start and then two inconsistent starts. Miles Michaelis, I'm so glad he had the performance that he had yesterday in the Giants' victory because I was starting to get concerned for how hard that man's been getting hit. So if Michaelis gets right, okay, we're on the right track a little bit here. Flaherty's pitched well, I believe, in his last two or three outings. Jordan Montgomery's been the guy that I fully expected him to be. The question right now is just that back end of the rotation of Steven Matz, of Jake Woodford, of what Adam Wainwright's going to be. I don't even think this has anything to do with pitching, Donnie. This is everything to do with offense. And to me, this is a team that looks like they've got the yips. It just looks like it looks like they understand that if something goes wrong, they're not going to be able to stop it. And I've made the comp multiple times, not to tie it into hockey, but they're what the Blues were in the first portion of the season this past year. Like the Blues snowball started, there was no way for them to stop that snowball. They lacked the confidence, and then it just it bled out onto the ice. I feel like that's the same way for the Cardinals right now. Can they get it stopped and compete for the National League Central? Absolutely. Yeah. But they got to start winning some series, and it's not about just winning a game or two games in a row. It's winning some series, and they got a tough one with the Dodgers. Then they got the Angels. Then it gets a little
0: bit easier. But right now, the Cardinals are that easy team, right? And and and, and even when you say it gets a little bit easier, it doesn't. I it's mean, the it, Brewers, it's the Reds who right. are ahead of you. So what happens? if Paul De Young starts to stick on a regular basis. So then what does that do to the and obviously that's a great problem to have when yeah. you've got Nolan Gorman who's 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 developing, you've got your corner infielders who who they are, but boy if if De Young can hit that really kind of shakes up that infield a lot because then you've you've almost got the problem with the infield that you do now with the outfield as far as too many bodies, right?
1: Okay, but Donnie, you are me in terms of the question you just asked about if Paul De Young when you say, if Paul DeYoung can consistently hit, do you believe that? No. See, I don't
0: either. Yeah. And I
1: hate that I feel that way towards Paul DeYoung because he's been great since he's returned. But call me skeptical every time he steps in. I'm just not expecting what he's been doing. And if he goes on a run, well, then it's simple. You put him in the lineup at shortstop. And Tommy Edmond becomes a second baseman because Brendan Donovan hasn't really been hitting for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Edmond has also been up and down in terms of consistently. So if Paul DeYoung is going to consistently hit then he's at shortstop. And then you figure out who's going to be at second base for you, whether it's Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan. The thing about this is Ollie likes to platoon guys. Ollie likes the matchups. And that's what he went into the season hoping to accomplish. The problem is these guys aren't performing to that level for him. I mean, they had to send Jordan Walker down because they couldn't platoon the outfielder guys because certain guys weren't hitting. And they want a little bit more of established roles. If Paul DeYoung is this... Paul DeYoung's in your lineup because you got to get guys who can hit right now. And frankly, everyone else you've got, with the exception of Nolan Gorman in the infield, isn't hitting. Yeah,
0: man. Man, oh man. I don't know how this is going to change. Still shake early, out. right, Donnie? Yeah. That's what we
1: keep telling ourselves
0: as yeah. Cardinals fans.
1: But at some point, it's still early becomes, oh, we're three months into the season and we're still
0: eight games behind. I was legitimately pissed off at myself on Wednesday night for staying up to watch them coughing up. You! I, I, I knew it was freaking coming, man. Two-year-old and a nine-month-old. When I put them to bed, I go to bed, but I'm like, nope, Cardinals game, late one, we're gonna go with this. They made me stay up and watch that. I used to love when there were late games when my kids were young because I could watch the games. Ooh, you knew and you'd be up. I, I mean, I could watch a game without worrying about, you know, like, oh, great, Dexter's climbing on top of the refrigerator or whatever the hell. You know what I mean? So, But now, <laughs> not anymore, man. No, not anymore. So are you making me stay up for this? All right, a couple things here real quick. Uh, obviously, amazing success in St. Louis for the Battle Hawks. Mm-hmm. The, the passion level for football in our town is super high. But that said, the XFL is a league – Dude, how does that league con- how does that league survive? How does that league make it work so that maybe St. Louis can bleed into other markets because I don't know that that's happening as much as we in St. Louis want it. To. I hate to be this guy, but I'm not
1: sure it can. Like yeah. just the XFL They're going to have to lean into being the minor leagues to the NFL. That's the only way that I see them having success. I mean, look, St. Louis, you're incredible with what you've did. You were the pinnacle of the XFL. But look around all of the other teams. I got a buddy who's in Vegas and said, like, it's kind of a joke, the XFL in Vegas. So leaning into that, me personally, like. To make it bigger, you're going to have to change the playoff rules a little bit. And I'm not saying this as, like, a St. Louis Battlehawk fan because they missed the playoffs. I'm saying this more of, like, it's just a weird setup to where – and I don't even – like, I'm not even sure the schematics because it was so frustrating. But it's basically the division leaders go into it, but you've got such a small group. Of, what is it, 18? Yeah. And you've got four divisions? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, it would just be – and BK and I talked about this on our show – it should really just be the four best teams go into the playoffs because that's what it is, right? You don't yeah. need this NBA-style play-in game where it's like you put the best teams in the playoffs and let them go head-to-head. That's got to be it, but I'm not really sure. The only way I feel like you can embrace this XFL and make it bigger, and I hate to say it to these some of these markets, but you're going to have to take them out of markets where they're like the— the ugly stepchild mm-hmm. you're going to have to move them somewhere where they can be prime target number 1 for these teams because that window where there's no NFL and you got hockey going on but then you also got the start of baseball season that's a tough thing to crack if yeah. you're the XFL to compete
0: with so you're saying like maybe like um you know you have a team in Austin as yeah. opposed to Houston or something like that so those you, smaller areas yeah, yeah yeah so you you I would understand that so the the sports fan isn't necessarily maybe going to take them for granted as much as they would in some of those other markets. Like
1: in Vegas, Like, uh, look, unfortunately for for that Vegas team, you really think they're going to compete with the Vegas Golden Knights who are pushing for a Stanley Cup or even the Raiders. The Raiders when it's draft season or now you're talking about a baseball team coming there. That's going to be a tough thing to crack. Those people can't be St. Louis to where, yeah, we'll compete with everybody because they want to embrace the sport. Some places embrace the best and that's it. And that's the problem, I believe, for some of those markets that the XFL's in. And one
0: Final thing before we go to hockey, City SC. I don't know what I'm watching, but I love it. <laughs> the I, same way. I, I honestly, man, isn't I,
1: it great how you and I are the same when it comes to like soccer? It's like I don't know what I'm watching when it's so similar to hockey,
0: but I still don't know what I'm watching. Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm starting to acclimate a little bit more, but I just think. Uh, You know, just to be a complete homer here, it is amazing to me to watch those games and to see and hear that stadium just rocking. Like, it's amazing. But then also, too, I think one of the great parts is seeing it be rocking in other places. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not just a St. Louis thing, unlike the XFL. It really seems like the MLS did this expansion thing almost the exact perfect right way.
1: Oh, yeah. Especially like when you look at the success of these teams. Honestly, it's props to City SC for, for how we feel about it because they did it the right way. I mean, they built the correct roster that meshed into St. Louis, and I, I know uh, Lutz uh, Fannin still, he talked about it with Curbs on the broadcast throughout the season of how they were building this roster to be similar to what the Blues were in terms of the the work boots, pull them up and go out to work, and City SC has been that type of team. You know, they've got the star in Roman Berkey in between the pipes who called out his team in terms of defense, who does that remind you of? Yeah, yeah. Like City SC has built it the proper way, but you're right. I mean, just watching the matches, like, I wouldn't have never expected a Saturday night at 9 30. I'd be excited to sit there and watch City SC play, but it's the environment that they've built up and it's the roster that they put together that have kind of embraced the unknown soccer fan that I am. And I'm starting to be, I'm like you, I'm starting to build towards like, oh, damn,
0: I'm starting to understand this a little bit more. So, And then I wonder, like, as a sports fan, and this is going to be horrible for Mary and my kids, but like, does this introduce me to more MLS games and maybe even Premier League? And goodness knows. What, what, Donnie's what, what... traveling to Europe, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Hey, we'll be back to the Last Minute Blues podcast in just a minute, but I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is Dr. James Maxwell and Crestwood Dental Group. You can find out more about Crestwood Dental Group at CrestwoodDental.com or, or if you prefer to use your telephone, which is a, you know, option, you can call them at 314-820-0909. Listen, I love Crestwood Dental Group. Uh, Dr. Maxwell is my dentist, this for my kiddos, for Mary, my dad, my brother, and um, they don't just go to Dr. Maxwell uh, just because of me. They go to Dr. Maxwell because Dr. Maxwell is Fan-freaking-tastic. Not only is he great, but the staff is awesome as well. They know a lot of us have anxiety sitting in that chair. I got to tell you that I think that my anxiety of going to the dentist is not in existence anymore because of Dr. Maxwell and that staff there. And I have had a ton of work done over the last few years. Listen, if your family needs a dentist, you're not happy with who you have uh, looking after your choppers right now, call Dr. Maxwell and his staff. CrestwoodDental.com. That's CrestwoodDental.com or give him a ring, 314 820 0909. And now back to the Last Minute Blues podcast So I would love to say here that I watched playoff hockey last night, but I got to be hundred percent honest with you. I was so invested in the NFL draft oh, yeah. that I didn't, I did not watch a, a, a minute of hockey last night. I actually watched the draft until the Bills picked, and then, <laughs> and, then and then I and then I bounced bedtime. Um, but <laughs> a, a few things here. Um, one and the first thing I want to bring up what in the hell is going on with Nakushkin with in oh, Colorado? Yeah. So I heard yesterday, and correct me if I'm wrong, so he has not played since game two. Correct. And there was a woman found in his hotel room who was severely intoxicated and went on to tell a story of being from Ukraine and that it being crazy that she came over and that she wants to go back is this what you're hearing Ah,
1: or i didn't hear that so the only thing that i heard what i mean you might have seen that the only part that i heard and i saw from a couple of colorado reporters was saying that jared bednar said that there was a non how did he phrase it it was a non-illegal or a legal matter that was taking place and it involved alcohol. That's all that I remember Jared Bednar saying. But you knew the severity of it when he said he's not playing in Game 3 and we're not sure if we'll see him the rest of the series. So what you heard is is more advanced. Now, granted, I'm a little guilty. I haven't checked more into it. And and that could be BS, what, yeah. what I heard. I, that could be a, tw- a Twitter something. Or the other. All I know is Jared Bednar... Was pretty serious about it. And he said he's not playing in game three and he's not playing the rest of the series. And we're not sure beyond that. And then the last time that they brought it up, which I believe was two days ago before Colorado played, he said, still being taken care of. It's on the legal side of things. So we'll let them take care of it. But again, the report that I heard was there was alcohol involved. I originally thought it might involve him, but there could be a lot more that goes into this one. But I mean, that's massive for Colorado. I mean, it's no coincidence they lost to Seattle in this previous game because they only didn't have Nachushkin, Landeskog was out, and Kale McCarr was suspended for one game. I mean, Colorado is down spiraling fast. But, man, that sucks for Nachushkin because he had his renaissance last season, and I was excited to see what type of player he was. Hopefully this thing isn't to the severity where we don't see him again. But man when Jared Bednar says one of your top 6 players isn't playing the rest of the series after one game or after the third
0: game, you know something's up. There's been a lot of suspensions in this first round of the playoffs. The officiating does, has been awful. Does does it seem like that or am I just making no, that? No,
1: no, you're spot on. Now, some of the the some of the hits have been questionable. Like, I mean, I'm trying to remember which one. The one that took out uh Joe Pavelski, that one was Or Dumba. That's the one that I think that one didn't get a suspension, and I was like, nah, that was about timed, about as improper as you could ask for. Um, Chernak with the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, whoever, Bunting was the one that got suspended. That one was absolutely warranted. But there have been way too many calls, I feel like, in the playoffs compared to years past. Like, the playoffs for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you've been watching playoffs just as long as I have, Tony. Playoffs for me are when the whistles get swallowed. Yep. Playoffs are the only time we're going to call it is when it is a blatant call. Yep. You've seen more power plays in the first round, I think, in the last 15 years in the National Hockey League. I counted going into the previous game for Tampa and Toronto, there had been 37 penalties called. Like, that is
0: just absurd. That's too much. In man. four freaking games, dude, that messes up the flow of really great teams. That that I mean, that's like messing up how you're watching that great game by calling all those damn penalties. Well, and then how about the power plays in overtime? You know how many power play
1: game winning goals we've seen in overtime? That's ridiculous. Yeah, man. When I get to overtime, and again, if they're blatant, and I haven't seen every single period of every single game, but. When they're blatant, sure, fine. But when they're these like ticky tacky of, oh, a roughing or oh, a cross checking from behind, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, this is playoff hockey. What was it? It was Matthew Kachuk that got a penalty against the Boston Bruins, Garnet Hathaway. He shoved Hathaway from behind. Granted, it was—I mean, it was a cross check. If you are going to go off of the rule books, but it was a love tap in terms of playoff hockey, where he was behind him and he shoved him, halfway went down and laid on the ice for five minutes, and then got back up and skated to the bench, and Kachuk got a penalty. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing here? That's not playoff hockey. That's mid-January hockey, and that should not be in the first round of the playoffs.
0: All right. So, how do you see uh, a couple things? How do you see the Boston Florida series? Do you do you think Boston closes them out? I don't. I think I think Florida forces Game Seven tonight and. I think Boston
1: wins that in game seven. I it's, I understand the president's trophy curse. I just don't buy into it. Boston is just a great team from top to bottom, but Florida's got nothing to lose. I think Florida forces a game seven tonight. Their goaltending has been great since Bobrowski's got in net. Um, Get all the roses you want, but Game Seven back in Boston, I would lean more towards the Boston Bruins. What do
0: you think happens here in this uh, Tampa-Toronto series? I think you and I know the answer to that. I uh, think Tampa comes back. Tampa's and wins Tampa forces Game Seven and wins it.
1: You know the problem for me, Donnie, Derek Lalonde, and I understand he was he was given the job at Sportsnet in the playoffs to be an analyst. That's great. Give your honest opinion. But you don't open your mouth about one of the best goaltenders in the NHL right now and Andre Vasilevsky and say, yeah, right now he's playing a little, he's playing a little overrated and saying that his weakest part is taking those block shots. Like Derek Lalonde essentially said that Vasilevsky right now is not playing well. That's not a smart thing to say because what do we know about Andre Vasilevsky? He could play awful for four games, and in three games, he's going to shut you the hell out, which is what he just did last night against Toronto. So you're going back to Tampa. Toronto needed to close it out in game five because now the jitters come in to where you're in Tampa, game six. You've played well, but let's just say Tampa finds a way to close that one out and force a game seven back in Toronto. Uh, There's... There's no way everybody in that Toronto Maple Leafs locker room isn't thinking the same thing where it's like, oh, bleep. White-knuckled everything. Because they haven't won a first round since 2004. You had to close that out in Game 5. Playoff, Andre Vasilevsky mode was engaged, I believe, in Game 5. Game 6 is going to be probably one of their toughest games if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then you got Game 7. And to me, Game 7, I'm going to go Tampa Bay every game of the year.
0: Let's go back to the West here real quick. Do you think Seattle closes out Colorado?
1: No, because Kale McCarr's back. Mm-hmm. The Nachushkin thing really hurts, but I just, and I might be completely wrong on this. People listening to this next time I'm on, to be like, oh, Ferrari, you're an idiot, which is probably very true. <laughs> Colorado, to me, even without Landeskog and are they're, they're not a pushover. And Seattle's been awesome. I think they got some devil magic in them, but Colorado's going to be as desperate as possible, which don't go against a desperate Nathan McKinnon and uh, um, uh, Miko Rantanen. Here's the part for Colorado, though, that I don't trust is their goaltending. I don't believe in Alex Georgiev. I don't think he's that good of a goaltender. Darcy Kemper was a better goaltender for them last year than what Georgiev has been now. So, I think Colorado Force is a Game 7. I might lean more towards Seattle in a Game 7, though.
0: All right, so, uh, I'm going to call this segment the love segment and the hate segment. um, And you'll see why here in a second. (laughs) Uh, Even though I didn't get a chance to watch the game last night, I have watched most of the Toronto-Tampa series, uh, largely because of my absolutely booming man crush on Ryan O'Reilly. Understandably Uh, so. I love watching, I mean, Gimini Christmas man, I mean everything that you could want a hockey player to be. He is that, and that's why I'm rooting for Toronto. It's it's not even like I'm not even a Leafs guy. I don't yeah whatever. It's just him, man. I love that dude so much. And then on the flip side, I and I know this is not a great word to use. All right, <laughs> I, I talked to my kids about using the hate word. All right, I hate sour face Pete DeBoer uh, <laughs> more than I I I. When he said the thing early in the series about how um, uh, the other team takes penalties and we're going to be aware of that, it's the same nonsense he did with the Blues. When say, oh, wait, you're upset about Pete DeBoer complaining? Yeah, I'm just so sick of his face. And every time he opens his mouth, it's some kind of whining BS. Oh, I hate him so much. And then also, too, man, that series between Dallas and Minnesota. I, I dislike both of those teams so freaking much. Just, like, just so much. I think I probably hate those teams more than I hate the Hawks at this point, which is something for me to say, you know. But, like, I just, I, I, I know that what he's doing is trying to get into the other team's head. I get it. But when it didn't work against the Blues, I just hope that oh, it yeah. fails. Uh, but I, do, you, do you think the Wild end up winning that series against no, Minnesota? No, I don't. I don't, think the Wild
1: are, I don't think the Wild are that good as they've played this point. I think Dallas is the better team. Dallas yeah. has done what they've done without Joe Pavelski. Dallas has got the better goaltender, in my opinion. Dallas has got the better defense, in my opinion, because I like Miro Haskin and Esa Lindell. I think those two are really underrated defenseman in the National Hockey League, although Haskinen's probably going to be in the Norris Trophy conversation. And then when it comes to the forwards, guys, Kirill Kaprizov has got one point in that playoff series. Like, You take away the best player on your team in a series, you're going to lose that series. It's how Minnesota lost last year. Remember, um... Kevin Fiala. Kevin Fiala was the most dominant player in the NHL with Minnesota last year. And what happened when they were in the playoffs against the Blues? Nothing. Goose eggs. Yeah. So I I don't believe Minnesota wins that series. Maybe Minnesota forces a game seven because desperation mode always seems to favor the team with their backs against the wall, although that didn't work for Winnipeg last night against Vegas. Um, Dallas is the better team, in my opinion. I didn't believe in Dallas at the beginning of the season. I thought Dallas was... A facade to where, like, they always are, where they start off great, and then it's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of who they are now. They're getting the best out of their best players. Tyler Sagan is playing the best. Jamie Benn is playing the best right now. Wyatt Johnston, who was drafted in the first round two years ago, is like a stud for them. And then, of course, you've got Rope Hints, who gives the Blues uh, pains all the time. So I'm like you. I don't like rooting for either side. Yeah. I think I lean more towards rooting for Dallas, which is going to upset you because it's Pete DeBoer. But, man, do I dislike the Minnesota Wild fan base. Yeah. The amount of complaining they do about Jordan Bennington and, ah, the Blues... I I would like to see them lose. So that's kind of where I lean with that. But I'm with you. I don't like Pete DeBoer's face. All right,
0: we got two things here real quick. Uh, One, uh, if you were a New Jersey, or I'm sorry, a New York Rangers fan, I would assume that you're puckering up quite a bit these days. And holy smokes, has that that series just flipped on its head in the last couple of games? The
1: Devils, in my opinion, made the mistake of not starting with Akira Schmid. He was the guy that started last night for them and stopped, what was it, like 40-something shots against the Rangers? He was the guy that, if people remember correctly, played against the Blues in the season and beat the Blues. I think he. it was their first game ever against him, and I think he gave up one goal. He's a really good goaltender. Mm-hmm. Now, that is their weakest point, is goaltending, but if you get that from Akira Schmid, you could go on a run. I thought this was going to be the New York Rangers. The New York Rangers... The New York Rangers are doing what the New York Yankees used to do, where they would throw all of the money at all of the players and hope that talent would win them games. And unfortunately, chemistry matters when it comes to postseason. They might prove me wrong here, but the Rangers in the first couple of games, when it looked like they were a juggernaut, they were a juggernaut because it was the power plays. They were a juggernaut because Chris Kreider was getting all of those opportunities. Sure, when you put Kreider and Zabinijad and Fox and Tarasenko and Kane on the ice, I would expect them to score a freaking goal. <laughs> right. But when it's even strength, I would lean more towards the New Jersey Devils because they feel more like a well-rounded team if you get the proper goaltending. The Rangers are going to have a tough go with this. Now, it's Game 6 back in their home ice, which is going to favor them, but you're talking Game 7 back in New Jersey where that fan base is wild right now. Yeah. They They've got the depth. They've got the talent. If they've got the right goaltending, I, I I went into the playoffs thinking there were two teams that could benefit the Blues if they lose in the first round. One were the Rangers and two were the Toronto Maple Leafs. And right now, that might be going towards St. Louis's favor.
0: All right, so one final thing here. So Winnipeg loses last night uh, to uh, Vegas. Vegas moves on. And in the post-game press conference, the Winnipeg head coach essentially went off oh yeah I I mean in in big ways saying that we had no pushback starting from January uh our best players didn't push back and this Winnipeg situation seems to have been like sort of bubbling up over the course of the last couple of years is that a situation Alex where you think and maybe blow up is the is the is the wrong word but it seems like something is afoot in that organization that they just, I don't know if starting over is the right word, but it seems like that needs to be massively retooled up there. Oh yeah, it's going to be. And it's going to be it's, this offseason. I, I believe so. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, let's read the tea leaves here. I mean, Rick Bonus takes over as the head coach, and what was his first thing that he did? He stripped the captaincy from Blake Wheeler yeah. and said, like, hes we don't need one person as a captain, we need a group leadership right now in a locker room. And it looked like it was working for a while and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, what happened? I remember talking with Murat Atte who's the athletic insider for the Winnipeg Jets. And I was talking to him before one of the final games in the regular season between the Blues and Jets. And I was envious because they played well defensively. And he said it has nothing to do with defense and everything to do with goaltending. He said the Winnipeg Jets defense is bad. Goaltending is incredible. And rightfully so. Connor Halibuck's one of the best goalies in the game. But you got a poor defense in front of you. I mean, frankly, Winnipeg plays defense a little like St. Louis plays defense, where it's kind of wide open season. Josh Morrissey's been their best player, but he's an offensive minded. I mean, look at it. Logan Stanley's six foot eight on the ice for them, and they felt, Rick Bonus felt like he wasn't giving it his all and hasn't played since, I don't know, the middle of February. I mean, they're going to make some changes. I don't know where it's going to come. I don't know what the contract situation looks like, but if you look at their roster, I mean, Blake Wheeler's getting up there in age. You've got Mark Shifley. You've got Kyle Connor. You've got Adam Lowry. You've got... um, um, I'm trying to think of the uh, Josh Morrissey that I just mentioned. You got a core in place, but it's not work. Pierre Luc Dubois is probably going to be traded, where Reed the Tea leaves there also, goes from Columbus to Winnipeg and now wants to be traded again. Might be a problem with the player. Yeah. They got some issues going on, and Winnipeg must believe in Rick Bonus to allow him to strip the captaincy from a fan favorite like Blake Wheeler. But I don't see that same team being in place next season like they were this season because it's been upset after upset after upset. The question just is, where do they go? Do they move on from Blake Wheeler? Do they move on from Mark Shifley? Do you get the best bang for your buck in Kyle Connor? I don't see that happening, but they're going to make some type of significant change because you can't keep doing this.
0: Boy, I'll tell you what, the NHL offseason is starting to become one of my very favorite offseasons. Oh, yeah. Like, like all the way around, because I, I, you know, obviously I care about what happens in the West because of the Blues, but then, you know, always wondering about what's going on and then how things affect the east could come over and affect us so it's um I love it man
1: I, I love it I've been telling people Donnie and May 8th is the draft so like 2 weeks from now Monday May 8th is going to be the draft lottery to find out if the blues get in a, in the top 2 The Blues are the most intriguing team this offseason in the National Hockey League. Doug Armstrong is the most intriguing general manager because he's got his way with whatever he wants to do. He's got two first-round picks that he can trade away. He's got potentially one that could be in the top 10. He could move up in the draft. He could move back in the draft. But keep an eye on the teams that get bounced in the first round because that could be a luxury for St. Louis in terms of making a trade, which is why I've kind of... Rooted for Tampa Bay, as much as I want to see Ryan O'Reilly win, if Tampa Tampa Bay beats Toronto, Toronto's blowing that thing up. And you don't think a William Nylander might be uh, available from the Toronto Maple Leafs if they decide to go down that path. The Vegas Golden Knights, although they've just advanced, if they don't win the cup or get to the final... Maybe a Nicholas Haig becomes available. There's a lot of teams that if they get bounced in the first round could benefit St. Louis. The New York Rangers, they've got Tirisenko and Patrick Kane that they probably want to try and bring at least one of those guys back. No cap space. If they get bounced in the first round, you think they're going to give a lot of money to Alexis Lafreniere, the rookie for them? I don't think so. Yeah. There's going to be players become available, which again, makes Doug Armstrong the richest man in the offseason. Feels
0: like he's got a lot of cards to play. I
1: can't wait for it, Donnie. Alex
0: Ferrario, thank you so very much. An episode of the Last Minute Blues Podcast in the books. Thanks to Jamie Rivers, Jeff Burton, and we'll do this again next week. Thank you as always for listening, and let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.